It's time to eat. Get in my belly. Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Russ Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast with the best in the business, Evan Silva. From Roto World, check him out on Twitter at Evan Silva. We're presented by BetOnline.ag, the online gaming website of choice for the Fantasy Feast podcast. Best odds, fast payouts. Make sure you use the code Big Feast. That is important, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, Evan. But we've got some MFL drafts coming where you can go against Evan and I. Late June, late July. I love it. I love the format, and I love kicking your you-know-whats. Um, speaking of kicking butt, Evan, you always kick butt in the guests that we get. Tell me about the guy we got today. Yeah, his name is Jim Sonis. Uh, he's been writing for Number Fire for a bunch of years. Uh, I know that J.J. Zacharyson, who we've had on the show a number of times, has written for Roto World, is the, I think, editor-in-chief of, um, of uh, Number Fire, he considers Jim Sonis to be like one of the most knowledgeable guys that he's got on his staff, if not the most knowledgeable. Um, he does a lot of uh, baseball analysis, but he also does a lot of football analysis uh, and, uh, for, for daily fantasy, for season long. Uh, and he is a statistician, and he is going to um, be able to break down offensive lines, not necessarily in a traditional way, but in a way that – considers multiple variables and multiple um, you know, ways to evaluate offensive line play. Uh, and I think that he is going to add a lot uh, to our early offseason knowledge. This is not going to replace Ross's um, offensive line tier, uh, tiers of Evan. <laughs> you know, we're, we're still going to have that uh, deeper in training camp or as training camp uh, starts, get, starts to get underway. Uh, but we – but we do want to kind of lay the foundation for where we stand on certain offensive lines. You know, not many offensive linemen are going to get hurt. So we are going to have, um, you know, over the course of the offseason. I mean, I think that that's probably, you know, one of the positions that, you know, the rules and the coaches are going to try to protect because there just seems to be a shortage of great offensive linemen in the NFL uh, but I think that this this show will really lay the foundation for where we stand uh, in terms of offensive lines that are going to be difference makers at the top and difference makers at the bottom and offensive lines that are just going to be competent, um, you know, kind of in the middle. I got it. I love it. Let's do it. Next meal. Well, as promised, every week, not every week, last couple of weeks we did Evan's Dynasty Rankings, which were a blast, but we love to bring on guests. Evan is always searching for the next young superstar, and he believes he's found them in Jim Sanis from <laughs> Number Fire, who I think is going to come on here and tell me about offensive line play. I think that's what's about to happen here. Hello, Jim. How are you? Uh, Ross, I could never teach you anything about offensive line, but I love talking offensive line regardless. So I'm doing good, man. I love getting a chance to talk about these guys. How are you doing? Doing awesome. You can check out Jim on Twitter, at Jim Sanes, S-A-N-N-E-S, from Number Fire. 
I like that you're a Northwestern grad, Jim. My wife got her MBA from Kellogg. Okay, yeah, I've walked by the. I haven't gotten to see the new Kellogg building yet. They just put up a new one, but yeah, Kellogg's an awesome place. And unfortunately, not 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 a lot of offensive linemen coming out of Northwestern. But uh, I guess Trevor Simeon. So I guess that's that's one positive. You know, it's a little surprising actually, because usually the schools with you know, a Big Ten school with that kind of academic reputation, I, I would think that they would have produced more NFL O-linemen than they have recently. That's, that's a good point by you. All right, so here's what normally happens, Jim. I don't know how often you listen to the show, but Evan always has a million questions for you. I like to first get some more of the background stuff and then maybe close it up with a couple more questions. So I did see on your Twitter profile that you went to Northwestern, but just give me, give me your background and how you, went, uh, how you got to the point where Evan wanted to have you on the show. Yeah, so um, I've been writing for Number Fire for I think about five years now. It started back when I was in college. Uh, just writing about baseball, essentially, and eventually transitioned over into football because at Number Fire, they've got their proprietary metrics, which can definitely help with that. And I guess for me, the cool thing about this data is it can allow me to look at offensive line play in a different way because it's hard to watch every single offensive lineman every week. But when you have data behind it, you can kind of see, okay, you know, maybe I need to take a deeper look at what the Los Angeles Chargers are doing because the data says they're looking pretty good. Um, so just kind of you know, getting into analytics uh, while working with number fire, I think, has been a fun thing for me and kind of leveraging that into different ways to look at the NFL because for fantasy football, people don't account for offensive line play enough, and I want to try to find some edge somewhere. And for me, being someone who likes watching offensive line play and talking about the offensive line, I thought that was a pretty, pretty easy route for trying to be a little bit different. I like it. So when, when you look at ranking the offensive line, what, what are the numbers? What are you looking at? What's the data that you're into? I think you just try to look at everything that you possibly can. Like Pro Football Focus has awesome data already curated because they put a lot of work into it. They have numbers for every offensive lineman, both as a pass blocker and a run blocker. I will look at that data. I also heavily factor in number of fires data as far as, you know, you can look at a sack rate, which is not an advanced metric, but it does show you based on a per dropback basis how often teams take sacks. Part of that's on the quarterback, but the offensive line certainly factors in too. And then, um, also looking at success rates as a rushing concept. I know Joe Thomas talked about this last year and why he focuses on success rate for running backs. Basically for us, it just means the percentage of runs that lead to an increase in expected points. So it's a successful play. And I think looking at those two things, looking at expected points lost due to sacks and looking at success rates, you can kind of find offenses that are operating well. And then once you do that, you can dig in deeper and say, okay, why are the Saints doing what they're doing? Is it just because their skill position guys are so good, or is Ryan Ramchek secretly like this superstar at right tackle for them in the making? So I think that using the data as a jumping-off point for digging deeper is kind of the big thing for me. I love it. Okay, so um, I'll, let, I'll let Evan have at it then for a little bit. Sounds good. So I'm going to start you off with a tough one, Sonis. You ready? All right. Yes. All right. Um, we're going to start off just talking about process a little bit. So the NFL is mm-hmm. 65% or almost 65% pass, about 35% run at this point in terms of play calling. Um, before the interview, you sent me your basic cheat sheet for the rankings. Did you adjust up 
teams with superior pass blocking offensive lines, or did you weigh their um, their pass and run blocking capabilities similarly? Yes. So I think the Chargers are actually a great example of that because I think that pretty much anyone listening to this would agree that the Los Angeles Chargers do not have a good run blocking offensive line. Like I. At least coming out of college, I loved Melvin Gordon, and seeing him struggle has been super frustrating, and I want to blame it on the offensive line. So I'm not going to deem them to be a plus-run-blocking team. But they're really good in pass protection. Last year, the Chargers had the lowest sack rate in the entire league. And adding in Russell Okung over the offseason, they were about middle of the pack before Okung got there, and he was a huge addition to them. And so when I did my rankings, I had the Chargers ranked up in 10th place because they're so good as a pass-blocking team. They are not good run-blocking, and that is a factor for sure. But because they're so good at pass-blocking, I put them pretty high. The reverse was actually true for the Chicago Bears. I don't view them as being a good pass-blocking offensive line, and I think that they're good run-blocking, especially with Kyle Long, assuming that he's fully healthy this year. I think they're a good run-blocking line, but I'm not fully sold on pass-blocking yet. So I couldn't put them very high on my list, even though I think – they're generally regarded as having a pretty good offensive line. So for me, that was a big part of it, you know, weighing in pass blocking as being more important than run blocking for me. It's definitely a huge factor. I think you kind of have to do that too. Yeah, the Bears' tackles are kind of shaky. Bobby Massey and um, Charles Leno. I mean, I think they're guys that the Bears, like, think that they can get by with. They both have, you know, multi-year, fairly significant contracts um, you know, I think that they're just like competent guys, but they're definitely not, I don't, not considered difference makers as pass blockers. You mentioned the Chargers, how they're already poor uh, as a run blocking offensive line. They lose Hunter Henry now, and he was one of the most yeah. underrated run blocking tight ends. So that is a yeah. concern for them. They really struggled. Warren Sharp has talked to really bang the drum about this, how, how much they struggled running the ball on first and 10. Um, but they mm-hmm. kept trying to hammer it home, almost like a, a, a like you know a philosophy of Anthony Lynn, an old running backs coach. You know, he just he, he was stubborn about that for most of the year. And I think that it, it, it was part of their philosophy. Hopefully they can go back and look at that and understand who they are as an offense because especially losing Hunter Henry, I mean, I think that they, they need to – you know, they're not going to be as good in terms of their run blocking. So we know that offensive line play impacts like skill position player performance. But how do we adjust our skill player performance expectations, Jim, based on our offensive line projections? How much will offensive line play impact your preseason fantasy rankings or for DFS? Or, you know, how do you just apply – because you have great offensive line knowledge because you've put in time, used a bunch of different Mm -hmm. data points to to study it, but how do you adjust for it at the end of the day? Yeah, I think for me it's kind of another factor in the equation because I can be skeptical all I want about Darius Geist behind Washington's offensive line. I think they're a good – they're another good – kind of like the Chargers where they're a good pass-blocking team when they're all healthy and they seem like they are right now but not great outside of Brandon Sheriff uh, in the run blocking department. And that's obviously going to be where Darius Geis is going to get a majority of his volume. So I have to factor in the volume that Darius Geis will get. But when I look at Washington's offensive line, and I am skeptical, especially with Spencer Long gone about their ability to run block, 
that's going to lower me on guys relative to consensus. But I also can't over-adjust to the offensive line because I know above all, volume is still going to be king in the NFL, and he's still going to get carries on first and second down. So for me, it's another part of the process. And I think that the reason that that's a good thing for fantasy is if people aren't accounting for that at all, and if for me it is a portion of the process, even if it's not the entire process, like I'm not going to be taking – uh, you know, like Devontae Freeman first overall, even though I do like the Falcons offensive line a lot. I'm not adjusting that much, but even just accounting for it and knowing where guys may be in trouble spots, maybe some guys are a bit underrated because they're running behind a good offensive line. I think that's the big difference. But again, volume is always going to be king above all else. For sure. So um, we'll get into some more interesting stuff here. We saw firsthand an offensive line in the Rams last year that improved significantly last offseason. I mean, they went out and signed Andrew Whitworth. Uh, Rob Havenstein uh, was able to stay healthy. Jamon Brown stayed healthy. Uh, Roger Saffold stayed healthy. Uh, John Sullivan, they signed, and he stayed healthy. He hadn't been healthy in years. So they got mm-hmm. a lot of positive injury luck. Actually, the Rams, uh, Football Outsiders ran a study on this. The Rams were the healthiest team in the NFL last year and it began with their offensive line but they made big additions um and the skill players there reaped the rewards and i actually think that the o-line improvement was the most overlooked aspect of the rams 2017 turnaround i mean you know sean mcveigh is getting all the credit you know jared Goff took a step forward todd Gurley, you know rebounded after a 24 game stretch where i think he went over 100 rushing yards once or or not even at all um, is there an off, but for this year, you know, and what we're interested here is forecasting. Is there an offensive line to you this year or a couple of them that stand out as potentially being this year's Rams or just being significantly improved? Yeah, I think one that you can look at that wasn't terrible, not as bad as the 2016 Rams were, but one that is better is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They signed uh, Andrew Norwell, Norwell in free agency. And if you look at them in 2017, their rushing efficiency wasn't great. Um, they were 26th in success rate going to the left. And you plug in a guy as good as Andrew Norwell is into left guard, and that makes you think that Leonard Fournette's due for a pretty solid efficiency increase this year. So I like that for Fournette. They're already pretty good as a pass-walking team, so I don't really worry about that. But I think the Jaguars – We'll get a bump up this year. As far as the team that goes from, like, bottom of the barrel to being immediately very interesting, I like the Cincinnati Bengals a lot more than other people do. Uh, they made the trade for Cordy Glenn, got him at left tackle. I know he was super hurt last year, but still it's an improvement over what they had. And also moving out Russell Bodine and taking Billy Price. Let's see what his health is uh, heading to training camp with that injury at the Combine. But Price, as a player, was really good in college. So I think those are two really good additions. And on top of that, the Bengals got a lot better throughout the season last year. If you look at their rushing success rate, it was 33% in the first half of the season. And it was 42% in the second half. Part of that may have been no longer giving the ball to Jeremy Hill, uh, potentially a factor in that. Uh, but both Gio Bernard and Joe Mixon had a lot of efficiency in the second half. Now you add in Billy Price, you add in Cordy Glenn, And I kind of think the Bengals are going to be a lot better than their perception. People may still view them as being a below-average offensive line because of what happened last year, but I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Yeah, Gio had some great games 
late yeah. in the season. Um, Joe Mixon, it seemed like he was just about to turn the corner. He just could not stay healthy. I want to see them shore up that. The, the right side, to me, is still a question mark with Trey Hopkins penciled in as the starting right guard. Jake Fisher needs to stay healthy. But their left side, you know, left tackle to center, looks like it's got a shot to be pretty good. Cordy Glenn at left tackle. Clint Bowling uh, has been their, their stalwart left guard. And then Billy Price. You mentioned the Jaguars. Um, man, th- this this line looks like it could be real good. You know, they're, they're returning yeah. four starters. Cam Robinson will be in his second year. And, and-, and you add in Andrew Nor- Norwell, who's like a – an all-pro caliber run blocker, that O-line looks real, real strong uh, on paper. So on the flip side, so we just talked about some offensive lines that could take big steps forward. Um, We saw an offensive line, as you mentioned last year, in the Bengals that lost several key members, Andrew Whitworth, Kevin Zeitler. They were banking on in-house internal improvement from players that they had invested draft picks in, and that worked out miserably. Um, and really helped torpedo their offense uh, for much of the season. Um, is there an offensive line this year that you could see falling apart similarly and really hurting the offense as a unit? It, it's so easily the Buffalo Bills. And, like, it's yeah. not even a question for me about that. Like, I do not understand the Cordy Glenn trade. I know that they were trying to move up to better leverage themselves and get a quarterback, and they eventually did that. But, like, trading away Cordy Glenn, and that's not a shot at Deion Dawkins. Like, Deion Dawkins was fine last year. He was a second-round pick, and he played well. But, like, when you're trying to bring in a rookie quarterback, you want to have the best offensive line around him you can get. And they traded away Cordy Glenn. Richie Incognito retired, unretired, was released, now is involved with more stuff, so he's gone. Eric Wood retiring. Those are three really good players to not have up there. And I was not a huge fan of Josh Allen uh, coming out of the college, but I still feel really bad for him. The fact that he's being tossed in a situation where the skill position guys uh, with all the turnover the Bills have had there, and now this offensive line, he was already a pretty low probability guy to succeed in the NFL, but now you give him this offensive line, and I don't know how it can really work out. Again, I think that Deion Dawkins is, has the potential to be a good player, and I don't want to – lump him in with everyone else. But that offensive line, is just it has the potential to be among the worst in the league this year. Oh, yeah, it looks rough. I mean, oh, it, looks, it looks real, real bad. I mean, the, the entire offense just looks like, you know, there's, yeah. there, there's number 31, you know, in the NFL in terms of, like, offensive talent. And then there's a gap, and then there's number 32, and, and that's the Bills. Yeah. And, and it even maybe extend to LaShawn McCoy, uh, who's 30 years old, coming off a career low, 3.97 yards per carry. I keep drafting him in best ball leagues. Well, and his price because, is so yeah, low that I really don't blame you there, though. Like he is, he, I think mm-hmm. that comes back to the volume discussion. Like He's still going to get carries. Mm-hmm. He's still going to get targets. So like where he's going right now I think actually makes sense uh, from a best ball perspective. So like I can't blame you, at, at least for still going to Shady, because I think the cost in him has gotten a little bit too low. Yeah, I mean, he started to go like in this at around the second, third round turn, and it, it is purely a volume play. You know who we considered to be purely a volume play last year was Todd Gurley, because um, he had struggled right. for an extended period, and he wound up you know outproducing expectations by a vast amount. I mean, he was a guy that last year you could get in the third round pretty consistently, 
uh, and wound up being a league winner. I don't expect that to happen for LaShawn McCoy, but just the, his volume projection uh, is, remains appealing at that lower cost. So we just talked about a few dramatic circumstances in which offensive lines improved or declined dramatically from one year to the next. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed when studying O-lines myself over the years is that there's typically a lot of carryover from year to year in terms of effectiveness. We can highlight the outlier situations like the Rams and Bengals. But for the most part, you know, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Saints, the Raiders, these teams maintain pretty high levels of play up front. The Seahawks, Colts, Giants, you know, they seemingly stay bad year to year. Do you, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of years now. Do you disagree with that in general or, or, I mean, like, do you think that there's a lot of change year to year in offensive line play, or do you think that most of the teams uh, stay the same? I think for the most part, it's staying the same. It's kind of like what you said, where there are teams on the extremes where there will be serious deviations. Uh, but the one thing that I try to take into account pretty heavily is just investment in the position. And that's how you can kind of spout or to spot those outliers where if you see like last year, I mean, it's kind of a buildup for the same. We saw them get to this really good level. And when you bring in Ryan Ramchick, they had this like insane depth. Like they were seven mm-hmm. deep with guys who could have started on most rosters in the NFL. They did lose Zach Street. Uh, that's the one Northwestern offensive line we were talking about before. He's gone. Uh, he retired. Uh, but then also Senio Kalimide, Uh he was lost in free agency. So the depth of the Saints not as good. But like going into the year, you could tell that like they had invested so much in this line that they were bound to do well. Dallas Cowboys, the exact same thing. So I think that you can spot the teams that will get better by looking at investment, whether it be via the drafts, whether it be via trade, free agency, and all that. But for the most part, yeah, like you said, teams do stay the same, and you can kind of assume that they will outside of big changes until you see reason to think different. All right, so let's just talk about your bottom five in your rankings. Yeah. You know, number 28 through 32. So at 28, we have the Denver Broncos. They did make some additions. Um, what is your, but what is your general outlook on the Broncos and how could that impact their offense? Yeah, I think with the Broncos, a lot of it depends on progression um, because you look at Garrett Bowles last year. I liked Bowles a lot in the draft because he was an older prospect. So I thought that when he came out, he would be an immediate contributor. And like, he didn't have a bad year. I know he got banged up at one point, but the, the pass blocking was still pretty poor. Uh, They're in 29th in sack rate. And part of that could be because of quarterback play. But when Trevor Simeon was a quarterback the year before that for 14 games, they were about middle of the pack in sack rate. So that kind of turned me off. I think it's interesting to see Ronald Leary. They're moving it back to his more natural position, which is at left guard. I want to see what that does. Jared Valdir is coming in this year, and Valdir won't be playing left tackle, which I think is kind of a big thing for him. Letting him play right tackle is pretty big. So they have pieces there. Like if Bowles progresses, if Leary gets better, they'll be back to left guard. And as Valdir can be an upgrade to this kind of revolving door they had at right tackle last year, I think there is potential – but I don't want to rank them too high based on potential, based on ifs. I think they could be much better than 28th, but the problem is they're in a situation where I need to see it before I fully buy it because, again, I can't assume Bowles will take this mm-hmm. big leap given how old he was coming out of the draft. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that you have him ranked perfectly. I might even have him a little bit lower 
Um, mm-hmm. Veld here really, I, he wasn't very good. I didn't think at right tackle in Arizona. Um, they have a potential hole at right guard. Connor McGovern, they, they want him to win the job. Um, Matt Paradis, he's really, uh, he had like double hip surgeries. He, he's really struggled with injuries. Ronald Leary is also coming off injury. He, I think he's, he would probably be considered their best offensive lineman right now. And then Garrett Bowles, as you mentioned, kind of struggled as a rookie. So I, I'm with you that they should be low. What about number 29, the Jets? Yeah, it kind of pains me because I have a Nick Mangold jersey hanging up in my closet back at home. I loved the old Jets of Debrick Shaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold, but like, I don't know if it was injuries or what, but James Carpenter and Brian Winters both took really huge steps back last year because they were kind of okay in 2016, but neither guy did well last year. The rushing metrics for the Jets were simply atrocious. They did bring in Spencer Long to play center, and Wesley Johnson took a step back last year. He's gone. I think he's in Detroit now. Uh, but I think that that's a slight upgrade for the Jets, but it's not big enough, especially given all the health issues Long had last year, for me to say, okay, they're definitely an improved team. I, there's no superstar on this offensive line. I think they have some okay players at tackle in Beecham and Shell, but like, outside of that, there's really no reason for me to think they got a whole lot better this year, and last year the performance was so bad, especially on the interior. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It doesn't look too great. Uh, number 30, the Cardinals. Now, I've started to do team previews, and I do I do a fantasy team preview for each team in the NFL um, leading up to training camp. The Cardinals, man, they I, – I mean, I don't know how Sam Bradford in the world would stay healthy behind this O-line. Uh, and then whenever Josh Rosen gets in, you know, they're, they're going to need to get the ball out quick. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I really wish Josh Rosen had gone somewhere else because I like Josh Rosen a lot as a quarterback prospect. But when you look at him at UCLA, the mobility was not there. Uh, a negative indicator for quarterback prospects is when they have negative rushing yards in college. That was Anaki and Jared Goff coming out. It was the same thing for Josh Rosen. And I, I like D.J. Humphreys. I think that he took a pretty big step forward there last year, but he's coming off a lot of injuries too. He got hurt a couple separate times. He had a torn MCL. I can't assume that he's going to come in there and be what I, again, I think this is my opinion, but I thought he was pretty good last year. So I like TJ Humphreys. Then you look at, they added Justin Pugh and like, that's fine. They lost Bell beer and they're probably going to be Andre Smith and right tackle. I think the one good thing that the Cardinals have done is I really liked Mason Cole, uh, the center they took in the third round, super experienced guy in college, 51 consecutive starts for Michigan. He played center left tackle. I think in their last year too, I like him a lot, but again, I can't, I can't rank an offensive line well based on a left tackle coming off a lot of injuries and based on a center who fell to the third round. So I, I think that they have some pieces in Humphreys and maybe Cole further down the line, but it's a really, really bad unit still. Yeah, I think that Mason, they give Mason Cole every opportunity to win the starting center job over A.Q. Shipley. Uh, they're leaning on Upati. At left guard, I think he played one game last year. I mean, it seems like he hasn't played in a long time. We just haven't seen him out there. Andre Smith at right tackle. I mean, what are you doing? You, you know, just <laughs> this. <laughs> I this is like, oh, it's awful. All right, so number thirty-one Bills. We already talked about the Bills. I mean, we pretty much covered them. What about number thirty-two, the Texans? Yeah, I think 
I hate this offensive line because I, I think this is like built up resentment in the Dwayne Brown trade because I love Dwayne Brown. He's like one of my favorite offensive linemen in the league. And I don't understand why you trade up for a quarterback and then get in a contract issue with his left tackle and eventually trade him away. I don't understand that line of thinking at all. So it's hard for me to put them above you. They did add in Zach Fulton, and Fulton was kind of like this Swiss Army knife type guy for the Chiefs. He can play a lot of positions. Nick Martin, I like decent. I'm coming out of, co- out of college. They did bring in Calamity to play right guard. But if you look at the right side of their offensive line, or sorry, there are two tackles. Chantrell Henderson potentially starting a right tackle and Julian Davenport a left tackle. I don't think they played 300 combined snaps last year. And when those are the tackles protecting Deshaun Watson coming off of a torn ACL, it seems like negligence. So they have the worst pass-blocking offensive line in the league to me. They were terrible last year, even when Watson was a starter. Uh, sack rate with Watson would have ranked 25th in the league, and he's probably going to avoid more sacks than he goes into. So that was not just Tom Savage. I just I don't understand how you can go into a year with Deshaun Watson as your starter coming off a knee surgery with Julian Davenport and potentially Sean Phil Henderson, who has a pretty serious health condition as your two starters at half. I don't get it at all. It just seems so egregiously bad. Yeah, I keep track of our, our depth charts on Roto World. And the other day I was looking at the Texans O-line and I was like <laughs> – Julian Davenport and Chantrell Henderson are your starting tackles if the season be- begins today. And I was like, am I missing yeah. something? I like, I went through their draft. <laughs> I went through all their free agency moves. I was like, am I missing something? They must have gotten a guy and like, I don't know, I, I you know, was, was doing something else. But no, those are their projected starting <laughs> tackles. Julian Davenport and Chantrell Henderson. I couldn't believe it. The, the guys that you mentioned before, the the guards that they signed, Zach Fulton and Senio, or Seneo Calamite, those guys have been like career backups. Now they've ended up making mm-hmm. starts because guys in front of them got hurt. They're like number six or number seven offensive linemen. Um, but I, you know, I don't, they don't have good pro football focus grades. No, have I watched a lot of Senio Calamite or uh, Zach Fulton? <laughs> no, but they've been in the game. They've had you know. And they've played on – they've been liabilities on their offensive line. Then Nick Martin has struck, has battled injuries. Uh, this is – this, I, I agree, is it's got to be the worst in the league. They have – they did draft Martinez Rankin, um, I, think, I think in the third round. I think he'll be given every opportunity to win a job. He actually may compete to start at left tackle. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm with you. I think that they're 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 dead last. Any other offensive line? Uh, they, any any other offensive lines that you'd want to hit on before we we let you go? I think that the the one that's also a liability that I view is being the Carolina Panthers uh, with mm-hmm. Ryan Khalil's injury issues. Sounds like he's retiring after this year too. They were bad last year. They lost Andrew Norwell. So. Worried about them. And then I think the two that are trending up, we didn't talk about, are the Indianapolis Colts and the New York Giants with their investments mm-hmm. in the draft, uh, getting Jack Newhart back healthy, Ryan Kelly back healthy. Newhart played terrible last year, but like he was hurt. Uh, so I think with the investments in the draft by the Giants and the Colts, they're kind of with the Bengals. I just don't have them viewed as – I can view them as highly as I do the Bengals, where they're two teams that could surprise this year. Awesome. I love it. That was really cool. Thanks so much, Jim. It was awesome to hear. <laughs> you know, as a guy that played O-line, it's fun to actually be talking O-line. We never talk O-line. 
Especially not on this podcast. Well, everyone, I think what do we do? Once a year, Evan, I give you my rankings. Yeah, yeah. we do uh, your your O line tiers of, of of Evan, right? And we're we're definitely going to do that again <laughs> this year. Yes, the famous tiers of Evan Ross O line style. This will work out great too, Jim. You just saved me a lot of time. I'm just, I'm going to go straight back to high school and just copy and paste. <laughs> hey, I'll take it, man. Thank you, Ross. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, to Evan, as well. It's been fun, guys. Thanks so much. Again, check him out on Twitter at Jim Sanis, S-A-N-N-E-S from Number Fire. Really appreciate it, Jim. Thank you guys very much, and uh, good luck with your, with your tears your tears coming up, and uh, hopefully we can get some good offensive line play this year. That was very, very cool. Speaking of cool, Evan, I've been talking a lot recently on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast about some new medicine that can really help a number of different issues. If you're like me and you've got some issues with your hair, keeps.com slash Ross Tucker is where it's at. Keeps.com slash Ross Tucker. You can also check out Blue Chew for a different issue and use the code Tucker. Both of them are over on the sponsors page at RossTucker.com. Speaking of the sponsors page, Evan, we talked about it a little bit earlier. But starting next week, we will start to have entries for people that are going to go against us in a private MFL draft, which should be fun. Today is the last day we have an MFL giveaway. So this is a free entry, and it's going to Mikey Henninger. He took advantage of betonline.ag using the code BIGFEAST. And in his email to Ross at RossTucker.com, Evan, he said, Tell Silva that Mikey Henninger is going to turn the $10 into a hundo. Do you know Mikey Henninger, Evan? Yeah, I know Mikey for sure. I know Mikey. Got it. Okay. Well, he's going to turn the $10 into a hundo. (laughs) Mikey, if you want to wait and and use that free entry to go against Evan and I, we're going to have a draft at the end of June and a draft at the end of July. A couple of best ball drafts where you get to go against Evan and I. I typically win these. Like, Evan and I did three or four of them last year, and I, I think I clearly outperformed you, Evan. Is that true or no? I mean, I, I didn't go back and check specifically. I had a good year, uh, but I know you do do well. I mean, you always surprise me. I always underestimate you. Yeah, I like, I like the best ball. So, anyway, so for the next few weeks, we're not just giving away a free entry. We're giving away a free entry against me and Evan in a draft against me and Evan where you will lose and Evan and I will beat you because you are amateurs and we check out the name tag pro professional. Okay. Evan's like a God does this for a living and I'm his host on the fantasy feast podcast. So come at me. All you have to do is take advantage of any of the sponsors over at RossTucker.com, and then email it to me after you do that. Ross at RossTucker.com. Just send me an email and say, hey, I took advantage of SeatGeek or Keeps.com or Blue Chew or whatever. There's a lot of them. ZipRecruiter. There's a bunch of them over there that are all pretty awesome. Speaking of awesome, Evan, we got an email question uh, that we need to get to. It's been a couple weeks. Let's do it, Bri. Ever wanted to ask an NFL player a question? Well, here's your chance. It's time to ask Ross. 
And Evan, because you're really asking Evan on this podcast. Evan, the email comes to us from Chris, and he attached a screenshot for SeatGeek. He spent $8 for two tickets to a college football game. I can't remember what college nice. football game it was. Yeah, well, he used the code Tucker and got $20 off. I think the tickets were 28 bucks, so he got the $20 off using the, uh, the code Tucker for $20 off. Anyway, he said, Evan, everyone expects instant production from their rookies these days. But we used to wait for the second, third year breakouts from mm-hmm. wide receivers. Who do you think could be candidates for a breakout this season? Which, by the way, is a good time to, to bring this up. You hinted at it earlier, Evan. But I think everybody thought Hunter Henry was going to be a breakout. Yeah, and they haven't signed anybody sure. yet, but... Um, Anybody that you think is a breakout for Chris and also your thoughts on Hunter Henry? Oh, the Hunter Henry thing is just devastating, man. I mean, I, I love Hunter Henry. You know, I'd, we'll see what, what they do. You know, they could um, go try to sign Kobe Fleener. I don't think that Kobe Fleener wants to play. Um, but we'll, we'll see. You know, the money can be alluring in the NFL for sure. Um, Julius Thomas is out there. They could bring back Antonio Gates. You know, he certainly knows the offense under uh, Ken Wisenhunt. It's it, it's kind of bleak. Maybe they could try to make a trade. I, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see what they do. Um, as for breakout candidates at wide receiver, the first guy that comes to mind is Tyler Lockett. You look at what has gone on with the Seahawks this offseason. They lost – uh, they, they're missing the fifth most targets in the NFL from last year. They lost Jimmy Graham and Paul Richardson. Jimmy Graham and Paul Richardson combined for 37 red zone targets last year. Jimmy Graham led the NFL in red zone targets, led the NFL in targets inside the 10-yard line. A lot of room for opportunity in scoring position in Seattle. Now, does Tyler Lockett necessarily project as the guy who – you know, is going to dominate red zone targets? No. But if but if he's going to go from, you know, five red zone targets last year to 12 red zone targets this year, that's going to increase his touchdown expectation significantly. Don't worry, they're, they're not after me this time. Um, <laughs> but, but Tyler Lockett is my number one breakout candidate at wide receiver currently uh, I expect his ADP to rise over the course of the offseason as people pick up on it there's just not a lot of pass catching talent in Seattle he's in a contract year you got Doug Baldwin and then you got a bunch of guys like Amara Darbo and Ed Dixon and Nick Vanette and Tyler Lockett is the most talent the second most talented pass catcher on the Seahawks um, his other question was for me, and he said, since you started playing fantasy when you started the feast, do you think it has changed the way you enjoy watch football, or do you think the ex-player in you trumps the impact of fantasy? You know, it hasn't changed it that much, Chris. I do look to see, like, if I'm calling a game, I look to see what guys on any of my fantasy teams are playing in it, but I don't put that much into the fantasy stuff during the season, I actually, um, I actually think more about and have on my phone 
the bets that I recommend for people for on even money because <laughs> I'm like because I want I want those people that are literally taking my advice and putting money on it. I want it to come through for them so that they listen to Even Money podcast. They're happy with me, etc. So that has changed it a little bit because I'll be you know at the end of games I'll be like, come on, come on. So. Um, Good question, Chris. We appreciate it. Love it. Fun show. Really fun show. We'll get to at least one question next week. You guys keep taking advantage of our awesome sponsors and keep sending me emails, uh, ross at rosstucker.com with your sponsor confirmation. We'll keep reading and replying to it. Can't tell you how much we appreciate those of you that rate and review the show. You know, it's OTA season, which means training camps around the corner. Fantasy football enthusiasm is starting to ramp up, especially after the NBA and NHL are over. It'll be all about fantasy. So please rate and review. And now you have a chance not only to ask a question on the show, but you have a chance to go at Evan and myself in these best ball leagues, which will be an absolute blast at the end of June, the end of July. Just take advantage of any of the sponsors, like I said, over at RawSucker.com. Other than that, totally stuffed. We're done here. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.